Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, we're taking another look at a murky side of the investment world. Now we're holding a lot of in-person events, mainly around South Auckland that seem to be targeting, let's just say, brown communities. And then after a while I learned it was really prevalent actually in the Tongan community. That's NBR journalist Nicholas Poynton on the podcast back in April, talking about... Validus, your new home of opportunities. The future is here. Validus is a complex, multi-level marketing scheme, promising big returns for the people buying into its finance courses. They said for 100% of the money you spend on a package, they will take and they will invest that into what I call a smorgasbord of, of crypto, NFTs, company stocks, foreign exchange, and they'll pay you a 2 to 3% return every week for 60 weeks, resulting in a compounded return of 350%. Like, the way that they position it was truly astronomical figures that they were talking about. And it's raised plenty of eyebrows. It's being investigated by the Commerce Commission. Back in February, the Financial Markets Authority issued Validus with an interim stop order, temporarily banning it from operating for 30 days. While it stopped short of making a permanent order, the FMA is warning people to be cautious in their dealings with Validus, saying it's concerned it's breaching financial market laws and that there's a real risk of investor harm. The large amounts of money that you have to invest in the business in order to get a return, that's, that's the concern. So how are people getting tied up in these sorts of schemes in the first place? Why is the Pacific community a target and what can be done to prevent further harm from being done? This is Mary Owe, the Managing Director of the online community The Coconut Wireless. We are in the beautiful heart of Aotearoa, Māngri, hashtag 275, all day, every day. <laughs> I know, sorry. I always wanted to say that. We are the home of champions, and you know, Valerie Adams, uh, David Tua, Frank Buns, you name it. <laughs> you know, the, the Pacific excellence or South Auckland excellence or Mangare excellence. I'm meeting her at an office in the Mangare Town Centre to talk about how schemes like Validus end up doing the rounds in her community. The difference with Validus is their use of t- um, technology, their use of social media under the guise of financial, you know, services. How are they using that digital marketing to reach people? They're using social media to engage or they're using social media to promote what they're saying. They're live streaming, they're interviewing people, they're, you know, they're using social media. Because obviously, you know, networking is a thing. And the fastest way to grow any network or to grow your business is social media. And it's a tool that's free. It's a tool that has no limitation. It is one of the most powerful disruptive tools that's been used. What I'm seeing in terms of validus is some people that are that I've seen that's caught up in it. These are respectful people in our communities. And so these respected people are sharing posts on social media and mm-hmm. they're like they're sharing hashtags, they're sharing these really enticing images and these enticing videos that yes. people go, oh, wow, I've got to get involved. Yes, exactly. You know, they use the words movement. 
So in particular, in terms of validus, I'm seeing, you know, hashtag VCon, hashtag uh, new era, come and join us. And they're wearing flash suits. They're, you know, driving flash cars. They're living in flash homes. They're traveling all over the world. They're basically streaming themselves, enjoying a, a holiday. So some of the messaging is very, how should I say it, way back then when it was network marketing, you know, and then affiliate marketing. And now what I'm seeing is really it's a pyramid scheme. It's important to note here that, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, there are several ongoing investigations into Validus. Over in Australia, though, regulators have said Validus has some of the characteristics of a pyramid scheme. Mary explains how people are being caught up in it. It could be a person that you've known all your life that calls you up and say, how are you going? And then, you know, they invite you to a meeting, which either can be online, but, you know, they're also doing big events. What are people being asked to invest? I'm seeing and what I'm also hearing is, you know, $5,000. That's a lot of money for our communities. Around the world, investment scams are on the rise, and New Zealand's not immune. Investment scams are probably the most concerning ones for us because they net such large amounts of money and they affect people really heavily. We'll hear more from Jordan Hairspring, the Incident Response Team Manager at CERT, a bit later in the podcast. But first... Malu Lele, Bulovinaka, Nissan Bulovinaka, and a warm Pacific greetings. Uh, John Pulu is my name, uh, born in the Friendly Islands, the Kingdom of Tonga. John is the co-host of Tagata Pacifica and hosts a radio show on Radio 531PI. I'm talking to him about the financial pressures many in his community are facing and why they might be falling victim to scams. We don't earn a lot. And, you know, we work in jobs that uh, we don't get paid enough or uh, a, a lot of money. So there's already enough uh, a strain on uh, on the budget for families. And we have big families as well with our Pacific community and add on uh, the uh, community obligations. We have family obligations, church. There's always something uh, for us. Uh, and, and the other thing is uh, the remittances. Uh, that's a big thing for us because... All the Tongan communities or uh, different parts of the world will always send money uh, back home to our families. So there's all that weight on uh, our Tongans uh, who are living here in uh, New Zealand and other countries to always provide. And we still have that uh, very communal uh, village uh, way of life. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. You know, we look out for one another. You know, they say, love thy neighbor. We always look out if uh, your next door neighbor is struggling, you give them a bit of help as well. So a bit we, of financial help. A bit of financial help. Uh, but at the same time, there's a, a danger to that because people are just signing up to scams or they're telling their neighbor, hey, this is good. You can get some money as well. But it doesn't always end well, which is the real concern. Why is it so easy for some of these scammers to come and talk to these Pacific communities and get them on their side? I think because they know that uh, we are able to get a big group and we can share with uh, one another and go, oh, hey, I hear, I, I heard about this uh, uh, scheme. It's great for me, so I'm sure it's going to be good for you. So uh, I think we have the numbers uh, to uh, sign up and uh, I feel for our families because, as I mentioned, you know, we already have so many other things to uh, take care of, not just uh, uh, the normal uh, uh, bills at home, but also our other obligations, you know, and... Um, Coming back to um, another example of the church uh, obligations, you know, they read out your name and also the amount you contribute, you know. so oh, Really? At church? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's like, oh, I don't feel right about, uh, you know, uh, uh, having this because that adds a bit more pressure. 
it may be a, perhaps a, a bit more competition uh, for families to hear, oh, they, this family put in this much. Oh, I better, you know, it's our family name that's being read out in front of the whole church and community, so I better add on more. So it's a pressure like that that I also hope our churches will review and change. So it, it starts from, from us, uh, you know, being more smarter about it and then just checking if it's, you know, too good to be true, then, you know, something is uh, <laughs> definitely uh, not right there. And it's plunging people into even more money trouble. Things like uh, uh, people not making their rent payments, you know, not paying off, um, you know, their loans or uh, things like that. And, you know, the worst case scenario is, you know, they, they just have no more money. There's nothing. And, and that really impacts uh, uh, the families. And it's and it's really sad to have someone knocking at your door to remind you that, uh, you know, you've got overdue payments. It's 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 really fakama. It's really embarrassing. Uh, so it it, it is uh, quite sad, and I'm also surprised as as well uh, with uh, the the people that are falling uh, uh, for this type of uh, scams. Like, well, how are you surprised? It's interesting. Uh, the people that I've been speaking to, they're signing up because they're talking to their own relatives. There's a, a huge uh, sense of um, uh, respect for one another that whatever uh, their relatives are telling you, they just go with it. So it's the word of mouth. It's, it's uh, another powerful thing. Uh, and also people on social media now are all sharing all the different types of uh, the, the schemes and uh, signing up one another. So I'm surprised in that way is that it's it's not like uh, the the Pacific way or the neighbourly way to you know hey um, come and join me but you might also get scammed or something like that. Natalie Vincent is the head of microfinance at Good Shepherd. It's an NGO that helps people in economic hardship, including those who have found themselves in unmanageable debt. She spoke to our senior producer Sarah Robson. It goes through peaks and troughs. It seems for us that the scamming. You know, we we might see a lot of it at sometimes, and then you sort of it, it goes underground. You don't hear it for a while, and it, it pops up again. We get a lot of the information or the intel about that from financial mentors that we talk to, or those working in social other social service agencies that may notice this from time to time, or have people trust them to share their story. And those people have then got to a a point where the where their debt has become unmanageable, and they come through to us. So that's sort of how it lands on our lap. And so how are these people getting, I guess, sucked in? A lot of people are desperate. You know, there is uh, people living on really limited low incomes. The cost of living is uh, getting higher and higher. Cost of housing, all of these different things that are impacting people being able to actually meet their day-to-day living costs. And they get sold a dream. They get sold hope. And this isn't just happening in the Pacifica community. This is widespread across across all ethnicities, demographics. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that being scammed is is unique to particular um, ethnic groups. I think what we do see in certain groups in the community, though, is there is this sort of collective approach to well-being and shared resources, and that can uh, open up opportunities for people to be taken advantage of. I, I mean, my observation would be that that's sometimes less likely when there's more of an individualistic approach. Um, and you, you know, you hold on to your own money quite tightly. Um, when people are in that sort of environment of trust and sharing, um, it's very easy for people to take advantage of that. And like I say, be sold a story. Do you think there is enough awareness of 
the risk of some of these investment schemes, investment scams amongst the broader population or amongst our more vulnerable populations? I think you you hit the nail on the head there with talking about the different levels and you know, in across society, different communities. Uh, is it getting through to everyone, or is it only hitting a, a certain audience? There's a there's a lot of talk about scams and online scams and that type of thing. But are we getting the message through to those communities that are more vulnerable to being um, caught up in these scams? And I suspect that we're actually not, or we're not providing the information in a way that is accessible or equitable in its delivery. So whilst it's out there and we seem, you know, we may seem to see or hear quite a lot about it, is the messaging reaching those that we know are more likely to be targeted by these scams? And and perhaps it's not. I mean, I would suggest it's not, yeah. And I guess digital literacy comes into this as well. I mean, I opened my um, banking app on my phone this morning and up the top it it had um, a little banner saying, beware of investment scams that are on the rise. Mm. But not Mm. everyone's going to be accessing these sorts of services. No, that's quite right. And and access is an issue across, you know, all sorts of opportunities, um, socially, financially. People don't um, have access. Uh, you know, to mainstream services. And, you know, you're thinking you get into your app and it's giving you a warning. Um, for a lot of people, this is these uh, scams and schemes are much more um, hands-on than that. They may not even be digitally related. You know, they're actually a communication between a family and a friend. Hand over, you know, a couple of thousand dollars. Leave it with me. Um, I'm going to put that into this and you're going to get really rich. It's going to be great. So that is just completely based on trust. Are people willing to ask for help? Do they know who to turn to for help? Or is this something, when you get sucked in by a scam, something quite shameful? Oh, absolutely, and that's why I think it's it's often a very undercover, right? We don't we're not hearing enough of the stories and enough of the impacts of it because people keep it quite close to their chest, particularly if you've been scammed by somebody that you trust, a family member or a friend, um, or you feel a little bit you feel ashamed, you feel a little bit foolish. How did I get sucked into that? How did I let that happen? Um, but if it's family or friend, it's very often people don't want to throw that person under the bus. They don't want to say, "Look, I'm going to report you. I'm going to tell someone about you. You did, you know." So it then these things just perpetuate. That goes on and on and on. So shame and guilt is a very strong feeling, um, and we get told that often. Again, that comes down to education. If, if this has happened to you, who do you go and talk to? Go and talk to somebody. And we sort of encourage people to talk to anybody. Like, don't just keep it to yourself. Talk to, you know, a financial mentor, call up Commerce Commission, talk to your bank. Um, just tell somebody that this has happened to you. I mean, what would you, your advice be to someone who is talked to by, by a trusted friend, family member, someone in their community who is offering them what seems like a really good opportunity to maybe make, a, make an investment? Mm. Uh, uh, look, we, we would suggest that, uh, like we just talked about, if, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Take some time, take a pause. Say to that person, look, thanks for that. Thanks for that opportunity. Leave it with me. I'm going to go have a think about it. Um, And then take that information, talk to some professionals, go and talk to your bank, talk to a financial mentor, um, 
do whatever due diligence you, you can, um, and then just look, you know, closely and say, look, if I put five hundred dollars in this, can I afford to lose that? You know, if it looks like actually it's legit, can I afford to lose the money that I'm going to put into that? And and you know, obviously we would say, do not borrow money to invest in these things. We never see any positive outcomes of that. Back to Jordan Hairspring at CERT. If you listen to our earlier podcast about scams, you'll know there are a number of different agencies responsible for monitoring scams and taking action. There's a Commerce Commission, the Financial Markets Authority, as well as CERT. CERT is primarily responsible for cybercrime, but it also helps coordinate scam fighting. Jordan explains that earlier this year, New Zealanders got caught up in a scam targeting people who were looking for financial advice. What we saw was... um Google accounts being compromised, likely through phishing attack or discovering credentials on the internet that had been um, compromised through a different kind of attack. Uh, And then the attackers would use that to create those ads, um, and the ads would appear above legitimate search listings. So, for example, when someone searched uh, Invest Money New Zealand, the first one or two results would be advertisements. uh, And unfortunately, in these cases, those advertisements would be malicious. Uh, They would use that Google searches search ads to get people to click on their links. They would get people's information, then contact them, send out those fake investment portfolios, and they, they ended up hooking about $3 million in a, a few weeks. So um, things like that are quite common, um, and they, they can really hurt people. So making sure that we get those websites that are being used to do that taken down and then getting that information out to people who need to know it as well is a big part of our job. Who's supposed to track these? If it's an international thing, who's supposed to track them and police them? That's a tricky one, right? So our our job is not enforcement or attribution, um, but what we do do is when we get reports where um, money has been lost, especially significant amounts of money, um, we will refer those on to the New Zealand police and then they can work through their channels, um, such as Interpol, to... um, try and get some further action on that. Uh, often they don't have all the details. Um, that's another part of the internet is, you know, sometimes things can be done in some sort of anonymity. Yeah, but they, they do what they can with the information that's on hand as well. So how do these big international scams reach New Zealand? I mean, the internet's a big place. Um, there's no, no borders, and that's quite a cliche when we talk to tech people. It only takes a few clicks of a mouse to get something from one side of the world to the other. It's very open for people to communicate, and that's both a positive thing and a thing people need to be aware of when they're working and dealing with financial things on the internet. How do particular communities actually end up being targeted? Like, we're quite focused on the Pacifica community for what we're doing here. How do these big scams reach these communities? If we look at particular communities, you know, there's there's lots of ways that people can translate things from English or, or their own native language to other languages. Um, you know, Google Translate's pretty easy. Um, but we see the rise lately of things like uh, OpenAI, where that is being used to translate things in a more dynamic manner as well. So getting things into people's languages is, is one way to get them hooked, uh, is what we'd call it uh, in this type of scam. How concerned are you about this kind of loss of these kind of vulnerable communities that we have in Aotearoa? We, we are quite concerned and we know it's a big problem, so we are working to make sure our advice gets to them. Um, you know, we, we are working through translation projects, we are working through um, our, our engagement team to get outreach to them. In 2021, we uh, worked on a fairly large translation project, or at least for our team. Uh, we don't have that many people. 
Um, but we translated into eight languages and five alternate formats. So, you know, included in that are things like Samoan, Te Reo Tongan, um, and then the alternate formats being things like Braille, large print, uh, audio, and sign language, just to make sure that the audience who, who really could be really adversely affected by losing some money have the ability to get the advice that we have. Right, so that was 2021. What are you more focused on now? What's happening now? This year, we are looking um, at getting more of our online resources into uh, some of these Pacific languages, um, especially Samoan, Cook Island, Fiji and Hindi Tongan. Um, the initial tranche in 2021 was the the basic advice, so the you know having good password hygiene, having how to use a password manager, how to enable 2FA, you know, get, getting your updates and your privacy settings right. This year, we're focused on getting more of those resources into those languages. Are we seeing more scams in New Zealand at the moment? We are seeing a rise in scams. I don't don't have the exact figures uh, on hand, um, but you know, year on year we do see a, a growth in the number of scams we get. We see them across all sorts of platforms. So you know, your social media, you mentioned those platforms already, but you know, through phishing, uh, phishing scams as well. Uh, we've seen a massive lift of that in the last few months over SMS. So that's text messages coming to your phone, propagating phishing and scams. Uh, and we're working with the telcos and other agencies to try and uh, take some action on that. So how much money is lost in this kind of schemes that you deal with? Last year, so that's 2022, uh, we saw about $17 million lost to scams and fraud. I can give you a bit of breakdown if you like, um, but that's uh, about 86% of the financial loss from cybercrimes that were reported to us. The first quarter of this year, so that's January, February, March, uh, 2023. Um, the total amount of money lost in all attacks was 5.8 million. That's not just the the scams, but that's that's everything, and likely a large portion of that is um, through scams and fraud. If we look at scams where we say you know investment type things, we've got crypto investment came in at 1.8 million dollars of loss last year. Uh, one of the other categories we got is buying, selling, and donating goods online. That is kind of the category that some of the other investment scams fall into. And that came in at $1.7 million. The broader picture, where we just put everything that we can't identify, uh, that came in at $5.9 million last year. So it's a, it's a massive amount of money. And it, it really hurts people who are um, potentially not able to afford losing that money. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Mary Alway, John Pulu, Natalie Vincent and Jordan Hairspring. Ma Tewa.